Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with the schedule of English language broadcast, or it's simpler to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Radio Havana Cuba, NHK World Radio Japan, and Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. We will begin with France 24. Eight South American nations met in Brazil for a summit to preserve the Amazon rainforest with divided results. The record-breaking ocean temperatures are destroying the coral reefs off the coast of Florida. France 24. Seeking and delivering a united voice, but failing to agree on a common goal against deforestation. In Belém, Brazil, eight South American nations gathered for a two-day summit to preserve the Amazon. They managed to issue the Belém Agreement. It lays the groundwork for policing illegal mining and deforestation. It sets up a scientific panel and asserts indigenous rights. But the pact did not include a common pledge to halt deforestation by 2030. Spearheaded by President Lula da Silva, Brazil and Colombia are already on board. But Venezuela and Bolivia held out. For NGOs, the summit is a missed opportunity. But the foreign minister of Brazil preferred to look on the bright side. No, it will not divide the region. There has been an agreement and understanding. Lula himself did not comment on the agreement after it was issued. He has staked his international reputation on stricter environmental policies than his predecessor. But Brazil has not taken a definitive stance on stopping further oil exploration on the Amazon River by state-run Petrobras. Colombia's president, who has the most progressive environmental views of the Amazon Basin nations, pleaded to end oil exploration. I believe that it is not even enough to reach zero deforestation anymore. The solution is to abandon coal, oil and gas. With no common agreement on oil or deforestation, the summit fell short of its more ambitious climate goals. But its proponents hope that it'll still be an important step towards saving the world's largest rainforest. It's a race against the clock to save as much of Florida's reef as possible. These conservationists are moving pieces of coral to land where they'll be safe from a blistering marine heat wave that's causing the worst bleaching event Florida has ever seen. 100% bleaching on the reefs, and we already seen at some locations 100% mortality. So it's very devastating, heartbreaking, and it's, it's, it's very threatening because we are very early into the summer of this year. So temperatures can only go up now for the next month or so. So it's going to get worse. The coral will ride out the rest of the heat wave in these cooling tanks. 
In mid-July, temperatures on the water's surface averaged at about 91 degrees off the lower Florida Keys, well above the average of 85 degrees. Temperatures that are not only threatening the reef, but the state as a whole. We can't afford to lose more of our reef. We're already at less than 5% live coral cover on this reef. And this reef is so important to the economy of Florida, but also to the coastal protection of Florida. The world's oceans have been record-setting hot since April. Scientists say climate change, along with the natural warming cycle of El Nino, is to blame. Currently, about 44% of the global ocean is grappling with heat waves. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English and most major podcast sites. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. Brazilian President Lula da Silva signed a decree buying hydroelectric power from Venezuela, which Bolsonaro had canceled. Russia says that the peace conference that Ukraine arranged in Saudi Arabia was intended to prolong the war and belittle other peace proposals already put forward by other states. Following Israeli attacks near Damascus, the Syrian foreign minister accused Israel of being a tool to sow chaos and instability in the Middle East. Radio Havana, Cuba. Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva has signed a decree that guarantees the purchase of energy from Venezuela, thus resuming a supply interrupted in 2019 by former President Jair Bolsonaro. According to Alexandre Silveira, the Minister of Mines and Energy, quote, the decree will allow the execution of contracts to bring clean and renewable energy from the Guri plant in Venezuela that once again plays an important role in guaranteeing cheap and sustainable energy for Roraima and Brazil. The decree was signed in a ceremony in the Amazonian city of Perintins and will allow the installation of a new transmission line that will integrate the state of Roraima to the national interconnected system with an investment of 2.6 billion reais. The decision is part of the relaunching of the Light for All program, initially launched by Lula in 2003. On this occasion, the objective is to benefit up to 500,000 families by 2026, with priority for the states of the northern region and remote regions of legal Amazon. The Guri hydroelectric power plant in the state of Bolivia mainly supplies the Amazonian state of Roraima, the only one outside the Brazilian electricity system. At present, Roraima is supplied entirely by the thermoelectric power plants fueled by diesel and natural gas that raises the cost of energy. According to Minister Silveira, the decree also allows for greater connection with all neighboring countries. Currently, Brazil exchanges electricity with Argentina, Uruguay and Paraguay through the Itaipu Binational Hydroelectric Power Plant. It also provides the possibility of importing energy to supply isolated systems. The transmission line to Brazil from the El Guri power plant with 10,200 megawatts of installed capacity was inaugurated in 2001 by Presidents Hugo Chavez and Fernando Enrique Cardoso.
The peace formula in negotiations promoted by Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is a meaningless ultimatum for Russia and aims to prolong hostilities, Russian Foreign Ministry spokesman Maria Zakharova said Monday. Quote, none of the ten points of the above-mentioned formula aim to find a negotiated and diplomatic solution to the crisis, she said on the official website of the Russian Foreign Ministry. On this basis, a peaceful settlement is impossible, the spokeswoman said, explaining that with this variant, Kiev and Western countries are trying to belittle the high value of peace proposals of other states and even monopolize the right to nominate them. Zakharov stressed that without Russia's participation and taking into account its interests, any meeting on the issue of the conflict in Ukraine is meaningless. At the same time, Moscow is open to a diplomatic solution to the crisis and is ready to respond to really serious proposals. Consultations on the Ukrainian crisis were held in Jeddah with the participation of representatives of about 30 countries, where a plan for resolving the conflict was presented. The Syrian Foreign Ministry said Monday that Israel is a tool to sow chaos and is the main cause of insecurity and instability in the region and in the world. In a statement, the Foreign Ministry demanded the United Nations, the UN and the Security Council condemn the Israeli aggression perpetrated on Monday against points in the vicinity of Damascus and to take immediate measures to hold Tel Aviv accountable for its crimes and terrorism. The statement claimed that the aggressive and terrorist acts of the Israeli occupation authorities coincides with an increase in the operations of the U.S. forces illegally present in Syrian territory and also of the terrorist mercenaries of these forces. The Foreign Ministry added that the Israeli regime is an obstacle to the improvement of the economic and human conditions of the peoples of the region due to its efforts to weaken countries and peoples through terrorism. The minister concluded its note, quote, This aggression constitutes a serious violation of humanitarian and international law, and we urge Tel Aviv protectors to allow the Security Council to assume its responsibilities in the maintenance of the international peace and security and take the necessary measures to put an end to these crimes. An Israeli bombardment with missiles against position near Damascus today caused the death of four soldiers and injuries to the same number, in addition to material damage. This is the 17th attack carried out by Israel this year. The previous one occurred on July the 26th against several positions of the internal security forces in the town of Al-Kataniya, in the province of Kunetra, about 70 kilometers southwest of Damascus. Israel frequently attacks Syrian territory under the pretext of attacking Iranian targets. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at their website, radiohc.cu, though the podcasts are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6060 or 6165. At their website, radiohc.cu, you can stream the English version noon on Monday through Friday Pacific Daylight Saving Time. Next, NHK World Radio Japan. People across Japan mark the anniversary of the U.S. killing 70,000 people immediately in Nagasaki from an atomic bomb in 1945. They called for the elimination of all nuclear weapons and to cease using them as a threat. 
China condemned remarks by a former Japanese prime minister who said that Japanese readiness to fight for Taiwan will serve as a deterrent to war in the region. Japan has been hosting a series of military exercises with Italy following similar operations with Germany, India, and France. Japan hopes to begin dumping Fukushima wastewater into the Pacific Ocean before the middle of September, following talks with Biden next week. NHK Japan People across Japan have marked 78 years since the U.S. military dropped an atomic bomb on Nagasaki. The city remains the last place to suffer a nuclear attack. Survivors known as Hibaksha say world leaders need to do more to keep it that way. People gathered Wednesday to pray at Nagasaki Peace Park. It was established near the hypocenter of the atomic blast. I think our generation will be the last to hear directly from those who lived through the war and convey their voices to future generations. Every year, this grim anniversary saddens me. I don't think I'll ever be able to forget what happened here until the day that I die. Nagasaki fell silent at 11.02 a.m., the same minute the bomb exploded on August 9, 1945. By the end of that year, more than 70,000 had died. Many were killed instantly by the blast or the heat. Others later succumbed to injuries, radiation sickness, or died years later due to cancers or other diseases caused by the attack. Kudo Takeko was seven years old when the bomb exploded about three kilometers from her home. Her parents and siblings died of cancer in the years that followed, and Kudo herself underwent lung cancer surgery three years ago. Japan, as the only country to have suffered a nuclear attack, should convince the world of how inhumane nuclear weapons are. It should outline a path to peace without relying on force and show that abolishing nuclear arsenals is the only way to protect the future of the Earth and mankind. Nagasaki Mayor Suzuki Shiro spoke of the risks posed by nuclear weapons today following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He called on the leaders of nuclear weapons states and countries under the nuclear umbrella to show courage and make the decision to break free from dependence on nuclear deterrence. China has condemned remarks by former Japanese Prime Minister Aso Taro over Taiwan. He said a readiness to fight will serve as a deterrence in the region. Aso is vice president of Japan's main ruling Liberal Democratic Party. He made the remarks Tuesday during a speech in Taipei. He said peace in the Taiwan Strait is vital for the stability of Japan and the international community. And he said his country would be ready to defend that peace. The Chinese Foreign Ministry released a statement on Wednesday saying a certain Japanese politician had visited Taiwan despite Beijing's strong opposition. It said the visit was meant to interfere in China's internal affairs and hype cross-strait tensions. The ministry added China had sent clear signals to Japan and strongly condemns this. The Chinese embassy in Tokyo described Aso's remarks as nonsense. It said if some people insist on linking China's internal affairs to Japan's security, Japan will once again go down the wrong path. 
Japan's Air Self-Defense Force has recently held a series of first-time drills on home turf with other countries. They are keen to help maintain peace in the Indo-Pacific, and the list now includes Italy. Joint exercises began on Monday in Ishikawa Prefecture. The aircraft include Japanese F-15 fighter jets and Italian F-35s. And the two sides suggest there will be similar activities to come. Since autumn last year, the ASDF has carried out joint drills in Japan for the first time with Germany, India and France. Observers say it's an attempt to keep China in check. The Japan-Italy exercises run through Thursday. Japan's government is preparing to decide when to start releasing treated and diluted water from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant into the ocean. Officials are expected to consider starting the water release sometime late this month or in the first half of next month. A meeting of cabinet ministers is being arranged to make the decision after Prime Minister Kishida Fumio returns from a trip to the United States. Kishida is scheduled to visit the country from August 17th for a summit with U.S. President Joe Biden and South Korean President Yoon Son-yeol. Government sources say the prime minister is expected to hold separate talks with the leaders to explain the water discharge plan. Some government officials say the release should begin this month as the season for fishing trawlers in the area opens in September. Last month, the International Atomic Energy Agency released a report saying the water release plan is consistent with international safety standards. But Japanese fishers and people in countries near Japan, such as China, are voicing opposition or concerns about the plan. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 9.865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or want to support this listener-funded program, as a monthly supporter in Modesto, California did this week, contact information is available at outfarpress.com or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California 95490. Your support helps the weekly production of this show which is distributed without cost to more than 100 radio stations across the globe. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Here's a piece that explains what BRICS, that's B-R-I-C-S, is, that's Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, how it came to be, and why scores of other nations are requesting membership in the Global Financial Alliance. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa are preparing for their next summit. Since we wrapped up the invasion of Ukraine, BRICS actually gained a second momentum. Now there are calls for the group to grow. We should start discussions around BRICS expansion. But what exactly is BRICS and what does it want? they take on a very big mission, which is to diversify the existing uh, 
Western-led global financial system. Lack of unity, lack of cohesion, uh, you know, mutual suspicion, all these things are very much there in, in, in within BRICS. The application of uh, even more countries wanting to join signifies that there's something that the BRICS is doing right. Despite hurdles, this group has been working together for 15 years now. Raising concerns in the West. Ironically, the seeds for BRICS were sown at a US investment bank. In 2001, an economist at Goldman Sachs pointed out the fast growth rates in Brazil, Russia, India and China, coining the acronym BRIC. Even though their economies have slowed down since, these countries took the idea and ran with it. What they created is not an international organization, but a platform for cooperation and exchange between the governments. In this way, it's similar to G7, the group of the most developed countries. BRIC leaders gathered for the first time in 2009, shortly after the start of the global financial crisis. South Africa joined two years later, adding the S to BRICS. The global financial crisis really made members of uh, the emerging market, members of the um, global south, started to question the relevance and the trustworthiness of, and the credibility of the US-led global financial system. Dominance of the US and Europe in institutions like the World Bank and International Monetary Fund, both based in Washington DC, particularly draws criticism from BRICS. One cannot deny that the global system now is characterized by some unfairness um, no equality between countries of the developing South and countries of de the developed North. There are deep uh, shortcomings in the current international architecture, which does not reflect today's politics, economics, demographics and aspirations. This imbalance is illustrated by a comparison with the G7 group. Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom and the United States. Whereas the G7 makes up 10% of the global population, BRICS countries are home to 41% of all the people in the world. But still, some 43% of the world's GDP is concentrated in the G7 countries, whereas BRICS account for over a quarter of the world's economy. To make their voice stronger, BRICS have used a twofold strategy. On the one hand, they lobby for reforms of the World Bank and the IMF. On the other hand, they put forward their own institutions, like the New Development Bank, which opened in 2017. It finances development projects in member states, such as electric buses in Brazil, a hydropower plant in Russia, or water supply in India. And it does so in a way that often suits these countries better. So just the architecture of the New Development Bank is, is, is one that is very different from the other uh, financing institutions. The IMF or the World Bank uh, have something called the Structural Adjustment uh, 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 Program. So we see that as a conditionality. You getting this finance, but this is what you need to change in your country. So it's kind of just imposing themselves on those individual countries. And we see that a lot in African countries who are, uh, are borrowers in these institutions. So that's the, that's the key difference, is that the new development bank does not provide conditionalities. The bank also promotes the use of national currencies of BRICS members. Both the NDB, the new development bank, and the individual BRICS members have this shared uh, interest, which is to create an alternative financial system by 
using local currency in trade, in investment, in developing their own local currency bond market. But BRICS is operating in the real-world international financial system, in which the dollar is still king. So ever since Russia was sanctioned for invading Ukraine, the BRICS bank has stopped financing projects in Russia to avoid being sanctioned itself. The idea of a common currency has been repeatedly floated, but has yet to gain any political traction. So in the economic field, BRICS is both proposing reforms of the existing system and alternatives to it at the same time. Can this approach work in the political area as well? Despite setbacks, BRICS members have stuck together even after Russia attacked Ukraine. Most notably, China, India and South Africa abstained from condemning Russia in the United Nations. But the fact that BRICS consists of five very different countries with often diverging interests limits the scope of their political cooperation. BRICS is not uh, a formal alliance. So it's not the same as NATO, it's not the same as a formal alliance to the same extent as a security pact. Rather, it is a informal partnership. The idea is that members can share the BRICS platform to talk about certain issues of their shared interests, but and every country have a veto power. And in areas where they do not have mutual interest or where there are divergences, they actually then revert back to their national interests and national approaches. This has particularly been the case between India and China in recent years. Border skirmishes like this one have put the two most populous nations on earth at loggerheads. They kept meeting at BRICS summits, but slowed down each other's ideas. So, while Russia and China are now in rising tensions with the West, India is doing a balancing act. So for India, you know, BRICS and G7 uh, are not in contradiction to each other. India has been seeking greater partnership with the US, with Japan, with Western Europe in order to, su uh, to support its, its development process. India believes that these countries, uh, you know, might, may be in relative decline, but they still remain the key source of capital, technology, markets, you know, on which India can depend on and where it can seek access to. An issue that shows different priorities among BRICS members is a possible expansion of the group. South Africa said over 40 countries have expressed interest in joining it. Among them are countries like Argentina, Saudi Arabia and Indonesia. An enlargement has been promoted by China, but discouraged by India, which sees it as strengthening Beijing's influence. Many in China felt that by limiting BRICS mechanism to the original five members, is reducing its uh, its overall global influence, its right to speak at the at the global platforms. Um, also, in the backdrop of the intensifying China-U.S. competition, it is uh, trying to get more and more emerging economies from all over the world to join China's supply chain. Whatever the outcome of their negotiations, the discussion shows that BRICS might usher in the creation of a wider international bloc of countries in the global south. Could this work? 
at over the years, we've seen the, the BRICS agenda expanding. So it's not just about economic diplomacy, but actually it is emerging as, as, as a bloc that looks at all critical areas of international cooperation. Uh, there is um, a lack of um, identity. Uh, you know, uh, there is uh, less cohesion uh, in terms of, uh, you know, decision making. So these are the shortcomings that BRICS is facing right now. And that is one of the reasons why some of its member states are so, um, uh, you know, they're uh, so interested in expanding the scope of uh, BRICS to, to address these challenges. The fact that these leaders continue meeting despite differences shows that BRICS is here to stay. For people who believe that a BRICS perhaps is in the past or as a group they already they, they are no longer relevant, actually are very much relevant. And um, at various levels, those heads of state and at working group level, pe uh, the BRICS people actually meet hundreds of times per year. That report was from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary, also available at most podcast sites. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, find information for online support. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 27 years, this shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid using solar panels. While I am recuperating from spinal surgery, I am staying in a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.